Good morning, Redeemer. My name is Morgan Renew, and it's my privilege to speak today from chapter four of the book of Acts. Two weeks ago, we began our series in the book of Acts called The Unstoppable Word. And we saw that the risen Lord Jesus is alive. Uh, He is building his church and he sent out his disciples as witnesses uh, to share the news of his death and resurrection with the whole world. Uh, Last week, uh, we heard from Pastor Eric about the style of the spirit, uh, that Jesus has poured out his spirit on all of his people and that we have his spirit in us uh, to help us as we share uh, Jesus with the world. Yet already as we've studied Acts, we've noticed that some things are prescriptive and some things are descriptive in the book of Acts. Uh, Some things uh, prescribe what the Christian life will be like for us. So Jesus, who is at work in Acts, is still at work today. Uh, He's still working by his spirit. Uh, He still saves people uh, as they hear his word and believe. Yet some things in the book of Acts, they just describe what happened uh, just once. Uh, So Jesus only needed to die and rise once. The Spirit only needed to be poured out at Pentecost once. Uh, So some things are prescriptive and some things are descriptive. And as we come to today's passage, uh, we come to something which I think many of us wish uh, would be just descriptive, and that's opposition and persecution. Uh, We can like to think that uh, persecution, that was just a thing that happened in Acts. Uh, Opposition, that's something that happened then and it won't happen to us now. But the word of God and experience tells us otherwise. As we look around the world, uh, we know that uh, many Christians are experiencing systematic persecution. They're being imprisoned, uh, even killed for their faith and churches are being closed in some places around the world. Uh, For other believers, uh, the opposition can come from their own family, uh, from the shame and alienation uh, that come from calling Jesus Lord. Uh, For still others, opposition uh, can come in the workplace or from friends uh, as we're concerned about offending uh, others or implying that that someone else would be wrong. Uh, We can worry that friends will turn away from us if we talk to them about Jesus. It looks different uh, in different places for different people. Uh, Yet Jesus told us that a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. That's in John chapter 15. But even in the book of Acts, Paul and Barnabas tell us that it's through many tribulations that we must enter the kingdom of God. That's chapter 14, verse 22. So God's word tells us that all who carry the word of a rejected saviour will sometimes themselves be rejected. Yet today's passage will also tell us to keep speaking boldly and it will show us how uh, to have that boldness. So firstly, we'll see that those who carry the word of a rejected saviour will themselves be rejected. Uh, Because chapter 4 of Acts, it's the first opposition we see in the book. 
Up until now, the gospel has been going out with with nothing in its way. Yet as this first opposition comes, uh, we'll see a few things uh, about, learn a few things about opposition. And firstly, we see that opposition doesn't always equal unfaithfulness. We're told in 4 verse 1, Uh, That as Peter and John were speaking to the people, well, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. You see, Peter and John had done a good deed. Uh, They had seen a man who uh, was lame, who couldn't walk. And in Jesus' name, they'd healed him. This was a wonderful deed. And then if the crowd was all excited about them and their power, they pointed away from themselves and said, it's not us. This is the power of Jesus at work. This is all in Acts chapter 3. And now if they're continuing to point away from themselves to Jesus, we see that the authorities come in and are greatly annoyed. Now, sometimes I think we can believe that if we say the right things, If we explain Jesus with just the right sort of wisdom and sensitivity, that everyone will like us. Or that maybe if we we always back up uh, our words with a life of good deed, that people will always appreciate us. uh, The world will accept us. But here at the start of this passage, uh, we see that actually opposition doesn't mean unfaithfulness. Uh, It's possible to be faithfully preaching Jesus are yet to be opposed and rejected. But the second thing we see is that opposition isn't an obstacle to the growth of the gospel. Uh, We see it here in verse 3. The leaders, they arrest Peter and John and put them in custody until the next day. But in verse 4, many of those who'd heard the word believed and the number of men came to about 5,000. You see, the gospel had been growing from a small band of Jesus' disciples uh, to thousands on the day of Pentecost. And it's been growing until suddenly the leaders are put into prison. We might think that the growth would slow or stop. Yet as soon as the leaders are put into prison, we're told that the gospel continues to grow. Uh, More people uh, believe uh, in the gospel of Jesus. Now, we never seek out persecution or opposition. Uh, We pray that we would have peace and be able to freely share Jesus. Uh, Yet here uh, and throughout Acts, we will see that while the gospel will be opposed, while there will be opposition, this is no obstacle to the growth of God's word. And this uh, 4 verse 4 that tells us that many who heard the word believed That will be the first of many markers throughout Acts. Uh, Chapter 6, verse 7, chapter 12, verse 24, chapter 19, verse 20, that will tell us that the word continues to grow. And most of those references, they'll come straight after some kind of persecution or opposition because opposition isn't an obstacle to growth. Uh, But the main thing we see in this section Uh, is that opposition comes from following a rejected saviour. Look with me at verse 5. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem 
with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they'd set them in their midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Now there, the religious rulers, uh, different rulers from around uh, Jerusalem, they've gathered together. Uh, They're asking them about the healing of this man. But does this scene look familiar to you? Does it remind you of something else? Well, Jesus, uh, we we saw the same scene with Jesus. Uh, the, The religious rulers in Jerusalem gathered together and put Jesus on trial and questioned him. Actually, in the prayer at the end of this chapter, uh, that's mentioned. Uh, As the rulers in 4 verse 5 have gathered together uh, to question Peter and John, in verse 27, we're told, Truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, uh, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. So as the rulers gather together against God's witnesses, God's disciples, we see that's the same way they gathered together against Jesus himself. Because opposition comes from following an opposed saviour. And in this passage, when Peter speaks of Jesus, uh, he speaks of him as the rejected saviour. Look look with me uh, from verse 10. He says, let it be known to all of, all of the people of Israel that it's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. By him, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. You see, Peter says Jesus is at the centre of God's work. Jesus is the cornerstone rejected by men, but chosen and exalted by God. And this idea of a cornerstone, well, biblical scholars have different ideas about what it means. Some think it refers to the, the foundation or cornerstone of a building. So that's the first stone to be laid of a wall or an arch. And that means every other stone is put on top of that stone and every other stone will will follow the the, the line of that first cornerstone. Where other scholars think that this speaks of a keystone, which is the the central stone at the top of an arch. Now, whether what kind of stone it is, I don't think matters too much in the end because the point is the same. Uh, This stone is central. Apart from this stone, the whole the whole building will collapse. And that's the case with Jesus. Uh, We're told uh, that Jesus was rejected by men. He was crucified, yet he was chosen by God and put in the pride of place, the center of God's work in the world. Uh, This idea of Jesus being a cornerstone, well, it's a quote from Psalm 118. Uh, where the world has rejected God's people and God's king. Yet we're told the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. God is going to use this insignificant nation, this insignificant looking king for his purposes. Then in Luke chapter 20, uh, Jesus quotes this, this psalm speaking of himself. 
He looks at those who are opposing him and says, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Because Jesus is the rejected one. He was the creator, yet he was rejected by his own creation. He was the savior of his people Israel, yet his own people rejected him. He was the savior of the world, uh, not recognized, rejected. Yet God raised him up and he is the center of God's purposes. So much so that we're told in this next verse that there's salvation in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is the cornerstone, the center of God's works. So if you want to know God, look to Jesus. We're told there's no other name apart from the name of Jesus under heaven are given by which we must be saved. Jesus is a rejected saviour. Therefore, if we follow him, uh, we, we're not above our master. We must expect that we too will be rejected. We too will be opposed. And that's sobering uh, because it means that uh, we can't expect that the world would always like us, uh, that we can hold out the word of Jesus and that we will always be accepted. Uh, we too will be rejected. But it's also a great comfort because as we are opposed as Jesus' people, we know that actually we stand with our rejected Saviour uh, who God lifted up. In 9 verse 1, Saul is hunting out Christians. We're told breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. And then when Jesus appears to him in verse 4 of chapter 9, he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Because when the world persecutes Jesus' people, well, Jesus takes that personally and he says, you're persecuting me. Opposition comes because we follow a rejected saviour. But secondly today, uh, we see that we are called to boldly carry the word of a rejected saviour. While we will be opposed, uh, we're encouraged to boldly carry his word. In verse 13, the authorities notice the boldness of Peter and John. And if we look at this passage, we can see a few ways that they seem to be bold. Firstly, they speak what's not popular if they speak of the resurrection. You see, in 4 verse 1, it's the Sadducees are some of those who are sort of bringing them before trial. And the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. And we're told in verse 2, they were greatly annoyed because they were proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. It is Peter and John stand being questioned by these Sadducees. They know what they don't like. They don't like the resurrection. Yet they proclaim Jesus' resurrection. Uh, there in verse 10, uh, you, whom, whom you crucified, God raised from the dead. Boldness means we speak what's not popular. And it might be that today, in, amongst our friends or in our culture, it's all right to talk about resurrection. Uh, different things are disliked at different times. But God's word calls us to we'll proclaim him, uh, to proclaim what we have seen and heard in Christ. 
One thing that is unpopular today in many places is verse 12, that so that salvation can be found in no one else. Yet that is the word of Jesus, the word of life and hope are that we are called to take to the world. And it takes boldness. Secondly, Peter and John, they speak of sin. Uh, So they say to uh, these people in verse 10, it's Jesus Christ whom you crucified. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you. They're willing to call people to repentance and to point to sin. Now we're called elsewhere in the scriptures to be wise, to be sensitive, to be gracious. Yet that doesn't mean that we can't speak of sin and can't call people to repentance. Uh, It's love when we realize that we are sinners in need of a savior to call the world to see actually they too in their sin uh, need a savior, a savior who's been given to them in Christ. Boldness means that we speak of sin. We see their boldness in that they speak despite their education. Verse 13 says that they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men and were astonished. Now, Peter and John, you'd you'd think they would be afraid. Uh, these, These religious leaders each would have spent decades learning the scriptures Uh, It was their their job to debate and to to reason about the scriptures and the things of God. And here are two fishermen, two uneducated common men. Yet they speak and boldly proclaim Jesus because they know that it's not about them. It's not about their learning or their wisdom or how quick on their feet they are or how good in a debate. Uh, They've been empowered by the Holy Spirit. We're told in 4 verse 8 that Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke to them. And that should encourage us to be bold. uh, Because uh, it's not us who speak by our our wisdom or our skill. But God works by his spirit. You might have a friend or a family member you would love to share the gospel with. But you, you worry that you wouldn't be able to answer all their questions. You don't have the the, the answers. Uh, You wouldn't know what to say. If only, you might wonder, if only they could have sat down with the late Ravi Zacharias or with the late Billy Graham, or if only they could sit sit down with Tim Keller and he could explain the gospel to them, uh, that he could answer their questions. Now, we're thankful for for great teachers and we, we learn much from them. Yet we need to remember that the same spirit that the greatest preachers of the gospel have. Well, we have that same spirit in us. And that should give us a boldness to speak, knowing that it's not our words, it's not our ideas. It's the good news, what we have heard of what God has done, that Jesus died and rose again and is offering us life and salvation in him. So we should be bold. Finally, we, we see their boldness in that they obey God rather than men. Uh, Look here from verse 18, or verse 17. Uh, The leaders decide that in order that it may spread no further among the people, that they'll warn them to speak no more to anyone in his name. 
So in verse 18, they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Peter and John are bold in that they're willing to say, we need to obey God above men. Yet this is something we need to explain, understand in the context of the rest of scriptures. Because for most of the book of Acts, we see God's people submitting to the authorities, even when it doesn't seem to be what would be wise in our eyes for the growth of the gospel. Uh, this isn't a command that we're given. And when the apostle Peter does give us a command about authorities, well, it's to obey them. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13 to 17, Peter says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and pray those who do good. We are called to obey God first, always. Yet normally the way that we obey and honour God is by honouring the leaders and the rulers he has put in place. Uh, there, there may come times when uh, the commands of rulers are so opposed to the direct commands of God that we need to obey God. Yet scriptures lead us to, to believe that would be rare uh, because God has put rulers in place and he calls us to respect them, to honour them, even if we don't agree with them. So we, we see here, uh, Jesus had told his disciples to go out as his witnesses. And it's when the rulers tell them that you cannot speak anything in his name, to not speak at all in his name. That was so opposed to what Jesus had just commanded, that they must obey God rather than men. Uh, that may come for us and that takes boldness. But it also, also takes a great boldness to trust God enough uh, to submit to the rulers he's put in place, even when we can't understand why. Uh, this passage give us, gives us a picture of boldness, boldness to preach the word despite opposition. Yet it also gives us a clue as to where this boldness comes from. Uh, at the end, uh, after they'd been questioned in verse 21, we're told that they further threaten them they, and they let them go, finding no way to punish them uh, because of the people. They were all praising God for what had happened. And what, the, what do the disciples do after they've been warned, intimidated? Well, they go and pray. Verse 23, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. If I'd just been warned, uh, intimidated, I might go home and change the locks or put bars on my windows. I might go and pack my bag so I was ready for, for a quick escape. Yet God's people here, they go and they pray. And listen to what they pray. They lift their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, 
Why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Where did their boldness come from? Well, it came from God himself. When they wanted boldness, they came to God and asked him for it. It's okay to to ask for protection, to ask our God for safety. There's many examples of that in scripture. Yet here uh, we see that God's people, when they're being threatened, they go to God and ask for boldness to continue speaking. And that's the kind of prayer that God loves to answer. He loves to answer all our prayers, but this is the kind of prayer he loves to answer and he does here. He gives them boldness to continue speaking the word of God. Yet there's also a clue about how he gives that boldness. And we see that boldness comes from belief in a sovereign God. Uh, As they pray, we see they pray in verse 24 to the sovereign Lord who made that heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. If we're going to be bold in our faith in sharing the gospel, well, actually, we need to believe that there is a sovereign God who will provide everything we need. If we're putting our needs under threat, well, we know actually there's a sovereign God who who provides us everything. Uh, Boldness comes from trusting a God who is sovereign over rulers And that's what we see in verse 25 and 26 in uh, this quote from Psalm chapter 2. Why did the Gentiles rage? The people's plot in vain. This is a picture in Psalm 2 of the rulers of the world sort of plotting against the Lord and against his king. Yet Psalm 2 tells us that as God looks down on their threats, he has to look again because they're so small. We're told that uh, he who is enthroned in heaven laughs because he's not threatened by their threats. He is sovereign over all rulers. He holds the heart of the king in his hand like like water in in his palm. When we're to be bold, we're bold because we know a sovereign God. Uh, Our fate doesn't rely on some government office. Our fate doesn't rely on our employer. Our fate, our future relies on our good heavenly father. He is sovereign over rulers. And remembering that, I can give us great boldness. And finally, boldness comes from believing in a God who is sovereign over even evil. We're told that when the rulers gathered against Jesus in verse 27, It was to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Here is the most evil, uh, the greatest injustice, uh, the worst act ever committed. 
where the Son of God himself was put to death. Yet we're told that God was sovereign over that. Uh, as the, the cornerstone was being rejected, actually God was using that. Jesus was rejected. Jesus went to his death to take the punishment we deserve so that we could have life in his name forever. God was sovereign over even that great evil injustice. And when we remember that, that gives us boldness to speak, even in the face of evil, in the face of injustice. When we're unsure about what will happen to us, we know that we follow and proclaim a sovereign God. We've seen that we will be rejected because we follow a rejected saviour. Yet we can have boldness because of our sovereign God. As we look one last time at this passage, we should notice that actually there are four gathering togethers. Well, firstly, well, back in Psalm 2, are the rulers gathered together against God and his king? Then we were told that actually the, the rulers in Jerusalem, they gathered together against Jesus in verse 27. In 4 verse 5, uh, they then gathered against Jesus' people, Jesus' ambassadors. But at the end of this passage, there's a final gathering together. Uh, verse 31, when they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. While the rulers of the earth may gather together against Jesus, while the world may gather together against Jesus' people and oppose the spread of the gospel. Actually, God has gathered us together as his church. He's poured out his spirit on every one of us who trust the name of Jesus. And he calls us as his people gathered together in his name to go out with boldness and keep sharing the hope and the good news of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, that Jesus is alive. We thank you that though he was rejected, your sovereign hand was even over this. Uh, that was achieving our salvation, our hope, our life. Lord, you did raise the Lord Jesus from the dead. Uh, we thank you that we have a hope uh, beyond safety, uh, beyond security. We have a hope for eternity in our rejected and exalted Saviour, Jesus. So help us to be bold. Help us to speak. Uh, help us to look not to our own strength, our own power, our own wisdom, but let us look to you, our sovereign God. And so have hope and boldness in Jesus' name. It's in his great name we pray. Amen.